is is important and 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 you find there's there's this kind of welcome to the lifelong learning podcast with chris mcguire Hello and welcome to episode four of the Lifelong Learning Podcast. My guest for this episode is Mark Hopkins. Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. I, um, I've been looking forward to having you on, Mark, because I met you uh, maybe three weeks ago and we sat down and we spoke for 10 minutes and in that 10 minutes, you had me on the edge of my seat talking about <laughs> the brain, the development of neural pathways. Uh, I was blown away, and I would love to cover a little bit of that in this show. It's a bit of a risk on a Friday afternoon, <laughs> and here we are in another, here another we are. moment. Yes, it is. We, uh, it's the Friday afternoon uh, little hangs we seem to be having. But Mark, to get us started, could you just share a little bit about your role and what you do in your day-to-day work? Well, I have the pleasure of running on behalf of uh, the, the diocese, what we call Captivate, which is just a simple umbrella term for all the creative learning pathways that we try and create for students in all the schools that make up the, uh, the diocese. So my, my job is to run programs that bring teachers and artists, musicians, dramatists, actors, dancers, sculptors, you name it, bring educators and artists into productive interaction with our students in class time between classes, after classes. Mm -hmm. And so what we do is really hard to capture Mm -hmm. briefly. So we have a very large brochure. We have a website that people can check in and see. But if anything relates to learning and creativity, Mm -hmm. Captivate loves to be involved in it. That's great. It seems like it's bridging that gap between extracurricular and curricular. It's bringing these skills that students pursue outside of school into the schooling context. That's a nice way. If we're talking educational jargon, we're involved in the curricula and developing creativity there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, traditionally, curricula, co-curricular, extracurricular, Captivate likes to have them all work together. So it's interesting when you talk about creative arts and, you know, you think of learning theories, whether it be, you know, behaviorism, connectivism, constructivism, that always underpin those scholastic kind of base subjects but when you think of learning something with your body it kind of brings in a different dimension to it would you say or, or how do you learn with your body mark well that's a good simple question to end a whole lot of complex ideas yeah uh, you learn with your body because the brain has evolved learning so that we could do things that otherwise we couldn't Mm-hmm. It sounds really obvious, mm-hmm. but that's amazing. Yeah. We can learn things so that we can do things that if we hadn't learned them, we couldn't. And when you stop and think about that, it sounds so obvious, but that's what makes us the amazing race mm-hmm. that God created. Mm-hmm. So how do you learn with your body? Well, it just so happens that the brain is attached to and runs the body. Mm-hmm. And it just so happens that... Everything gets into the brain by the senses. You're making this seem so simple. How did I miss this? <laughs> and look, it, it, we sound simple because if you can remember the things that we're all familiar with, it's obvious to us. And again, simply, if we go back to saying the senses have all this amazing amount of information, 
some part of the brain has to say, what do we let in because it's too much. Mm-hmm. Is that the hippocampus? No. no. It's, um, I the, thought I'd have a crack there, Mark. It's You can call it RAS for short, the reticular activator. Okay. <laughs> but, but essentially... But please don't shy away from that language because I want to I hear that. Well, okay. Well, it's, it's basically the reticular activator activating system is like the gatekeeper to the brain so it just comes in and it basically says what do i let in or what i don't Mm -hmm. Um, then the system goes to the um, amygdala or Mm -hmm. amygdala but um and that's sort of like the emotional switching area Um, and it sort of has to get past that um uh, limbic system that, that says okay what do i let in and that's based on, is it new? Is it a pattern? Yes. So before we can even process, you have this RAS that says, what do I let in? It only lets in 1% of wow. the information about. And then before it actually gets the thinking part, it goes through the emotional switching center, mm-hmm. the amygdala. And that, that basically is where if, if you go into fear or you go into flight or freeze, mm-hmm. no thinking is going to take place. Yep. Um, after that, you, you get to what you were talking about, which is the hippocampus, yeah. which is sort of where the um, short-term memory works. Mm-hmm. This is where we've now got to make sense of what's come in. Yeah. So this information that's arriving has got past the gatekeeper, the RAS. It's got past the switch that could have thrown us very quickly into don't think, just run, mm-hmm. freeze, pretend you're dead, whatever. Yeah. Uh, and now we've got 60 seconds to make sense of this information and link it with pre-existing and prior knowledge or you'll suffer what they call um, dramatically catastrophic loss. In other words, the brain is not going to hang on to that new information beyond the 60 seconds in its limited working memory capacity, Mm -hmm. short-term memory, unless you've got about 60 seconds to link it with pre-existing knowledge and make sense of this new stuff. Mm -hmm. Or it says, didn't need it, Mm -hmm. can't use it, gone. When you say that 60 seconds, would that be considered your short-term memory? That's exactly why we call it short-term memory. That working memory space yeah. that we associate with the hippocampus and around that area. But essentially, if we just imagine that for us to get to think about or make sense of all that's coming in, we've essentially got this limitation of working memory. If you're able to make the connections with long-term memory, long-term knowledge then that learning will, I guess, accelerate at a, at a much larger rate. Is that? And I'm going to tease you. If you know a little about the limbic system with that emotional area, yep. memories and emotions go so together. It's this primitive part of the brain and the first bit before thought. So, again, I advise people to go and look this up for themselves rather than pretend I'm an expert. But yep. my little hint is that in that emotional switching area, favourable emotions or negative emotions bring incredibly powerful memories Mm -hmm. and so that primitive part of the brain or that lower part of the brain makes available things that shut down or open up possibilities Mm -hmm. so a favorable emotional response to something my favorite teacher my favorite music my Mm -hmm. favorite subject my favorite friends in this class Mm -hmm. suddenly Mm -hmm. all these things that can set you up to make possible emotionally before it gets to the prefrontal cortex the availability of all these connections that are going on so that's the potential the reality of, of what actually happens in this magic between the new things that are coming in or, or the performance you have to do and the possibility of tapping this rich stuff yeah. you've already learned. Mm-hmm. Um, you asked about how the body can help us learn. Well, yes. we remember we talked about all the senses are the only way information can reach the brain. Yep. 
well, those sensors connected to the body have their own superhighways or pathways. If you engage them all simultaneously and deliberately, then each of them, because they have pre-existing ways of working really effectively, mm-hmm. ears help us balance, mm-hmm. eyes have peripheral vision better in girls and boys, <laughs> Doesn't it, you know, there's yep. all sorts of layers and complexity to this. But the simple fact is, if all these modalities are engaged simultaneously, the brain's capable of that. Mm-hmm. So that working memory limitation that we talked about is suddenly having whole elements coming in, so things are starting to combine into one pre-existing element. That's right. And is that what you call multi-modality, when you're engaging all of your senses in either the learning process or even just going about your day-to-day life? Are we always always multimodal in that sense? Now, you're using just a great way to capture the common sense of it. Yes, in life, we don't go, oh, it's 10 past 11. I better just be sitting <laughs> and listening. <laughs> you know? Oh, I'm at work, but I now have to only use my yeah. kinetic learning skills. So when you talk about, is the RTA, the... Well, the R- RAS. RAS. What was that acronym again? Well, it stands for the uh, Reticulator Activating System. And that and always needs to be running? It is always running because otherwise you'd be overwhelmed. Your brain can't take in. Mm-hmm. You know, if I asked you, you know, what's the microclimate difference between the sole of your foot, your armpit, your groin, and I'm picking all the hot areas, and yeah. now the back of your neck that's exposed, you know, your body is, you know, and are you aware of your heartbeat? Are you aware of your breathing rate? Mm. Um, there's a sensory awareness internally and externally, sounds yeah. inside the room, outside the room. What's available to your senses is far more than your brain can process. Mm. So our brains are wired to basically uh, help the animal and the species survive. That's right. And the next thing that they do is they look for pattern and pleasure. That's mm-hmm. what our brains do. Obviously, we associate pleasure with things that reward our survival mm-hmm. and interaction. So another way of saying is we're wired to figure it out what helps us survive, and fit in, what's helped us socialise. Mm-hmm. So the patterns and pleasure relate to both the individual survival and the group survival, which we need for, for species survival. Of course, what then happens is, if you've got these systems that are about pattern, if things are following a pattern, and you know that that doesn't need to be paid attention to because that's everything functioning okay, mm-hmm. then you can look for anomalies. Now, we call that the novel or the new. So we're wired for the new or the novel or the dangerous mm-hmm. things that break the pattern as a tiger coming i think i will get out of its way climb the tree whatever we won't even have to think much about that we know from because some, that part that comes after the res question and says whether it's a fight or flight response what was it called again well the amygdala the amygdala your, yeah yes. that's your emotional switching the area. emotional switch yeah yep. So that's right, and that's, you know, people used to call it the reptile part of the brain. Yeah, you know, there's all sorts of, of, of phrases that capture the fact you don't have to think much, mm. and you're more likely to survive if you don't. Mm-hmm. Our philosophical discussion with a hungry predator is not a likely good outcome for a human. Mm. But from the top of the tree, you might think of the most amazing poetry about being glad to be alive <laughs> and thanking God. <laughs> a good prayer might come just at that moment. That's a nice way um, to put it. So the essence, again, of looking at those modalities you referred to, and then you. Uh, yes, multimodality is getting all our multiple senses which operate simultaneously all the time. That's the way we're designed. Why don't in learning we look at getting all those modalities working all the time to help? Mm-hmm. So 
obviously creative learning and the creative arts is just a great model for saying if you're playing the violin you have absolutely precise motor skills of mm-hmm. where you put your hand on the fret and what the positioning is and it's mathematically precise your fingers out of position different note you're mm-hmm. not even on the note you've and there's also, that feedback mm. auditory mm-hmm. it's an auditory feedback because mm-hmm. if you're looking at your fingers you're not in the right position mm-hmm. so you can't be playing the violin properly and watching your fingers. You use your auditory to give you feedback on your motor. And visually, you're probably either reading the music or watching the conductor in an mm-hmm. ideal world. And your overall sense of your position and your sound relative to other sounds is an auditory physical sensation of the ensemble making a sound. Mm-hmm. Adjusted by the conductor, you have your own internal mechanisms of uh, counting, but you now also count as a group. So you're making those micro-adjustments oh, yeah. what's going on. And you're also sitting properly because if you're slouched, you're engaging your core, which is allowing you to breathe properly, which is with ease and with depth, which mm-hmm. is then freeing oxygen supply to the brain to make it function more effectively. So the multiple and you it's try amazing to, when you break it down like that, and and that's just basic musician, and they're not from the audience point of view moving much. Mm-hmm. But if you really look at what their fingers are doing and then the balance and flow and the position, and we spend a lot of time mm-hmm. with students being able to position the flow so that their their shoulder rotators are creating movement, that their elbow is in alignment, that their wrist is loose, their holding of the bow is precise. These fine and gross motor skills build pathways in the brain that allow, with the right environment, a pre-existing pathway available for other learning. And is it part of, like, if I was learning to play the violin, and because what, what, you, what you're talking about there when you talk multimodality, it's being able to stop and, and shift your focus to the kinesthetics of your hand and then shift to that auditory. It's like, do you need to focus on it individually in order to develop it with the modality, well, or is it... If I knew the answer to that. You've just struck to the dilemma of, of learning, you know, the conceit of maths and science. Mm and history and storytelling we separate them different subjects but you try and find the history of science that doesn't have mathematicians in it essentially it's absurd to break it into individual things you ask a great halfback in rugby league or a or a um, rover in afl or or, um, a defensive midfielder if they break everything individually down to its component bits yeah no. Is that such a human thing to do? It's, it's hard an industrialized, to... the whole idea of, of breaking things down to their making element bits. Making it linear. Yeah, making it linear and producing the same outcome. Yeah. A lot of our education has this analogy that's become like a factory that's been unitized, mm-hmm. reduced, broken down to its element bits and put back together. And yeah, what I'm suggesting through creativity, we have a lovely model that nobody would want to watch any sport broken down to its elements mm. um, even gridiron sometimes look american football looks to us incredibly codified and broken down but when you get into it you suddenly realize it's like chess yeah with very big pieces smashing into each <laughs> other um and it, and it has a beauty and a, and a and a integrated nature to it so i would argue sport performing arts art visual arts mm-hmm. um even a, a great party of people getting together to mm. celebrate our religious rituals and mm-hmm. traditions, traditions. Mm. you know most people don't need to know the masses the the offertory before we have the eucharist and before you know it's great if they do 
but it's actually the unity of things and and the, the essence of people joining together and this this amazing transformative experience that we do. If you break it down mm. to its elements, you sort of know it better, yeah. but that doesn't make it live. So learning happens all the time, and it happens in ways that mostly you don't have to think about. Obviously, to develop your thinking about your thinking, the metacognition mm-hmm. makes you incredibly powerful to be able to do something better the next time, to go back and not just like some of the kids do, only practice the bits they're already good at because it makes them feel fantastic. That's right. <laughs> they never fix their flaws. Mm-hmm. So this is the irony of, of learning. When it happens naturally, pattern it doesn't have to be broken down. Got it. Yeah. But when it's not pleasurable and you can't get the patterns, <laughs> it's great if someone can point them out to you, mm-hmm. make you familiar with them, slow it up, break it down till you see it, and yeah. then allow you the chance to put it together and get fluent. And when you get automatic in some things, your cognitive load can go to the next level. Mm-hmm. So a musician has to learn the notes and the scales. They have to have the technical facility. A dancer needs to safely place their weight on the floor and control them through movement. Mm-hmm. They need safe dance practice. They need the elongation of muscle, the alignment, the strengthening of core, the technical balance through the ball of the foot pushing into the floor, ironically, to stand stronger and taller up, yeah. needs to be taught. Once all that is second nature or in layman's terms, or technically it's been mastered to the point where it's automatic and you don't have to think about, then you're free to be an artist, give expression, concentrate on the aesthetics of something. So It's almost like what you're saying here, it's like you graduate from consumer of information to creator of information. You gather the skills to then feed back into this art form. So, yes, beautifully put, but then think what it's like talking to your child. They take in information you've made sense of, They understand how to manipulate you. Mummy, I want this. Mummy, I need that. Mm -hmm. Dad, could you get me this? And then all of a sudden you see this beautiful human being emerge as they start expressing themselves and becoming part of the family and part of the society as as who they are. And it's not just speaking isn't this exhortative, manipulative technology they have. Mm -hmm. It's a way of saying who they are and how they're going to be part of us. Mm -hmm. So, And that's that's what, what learning sort of is. And schools have to sort of codify it without killing that creativity and expressiveness. Well, talking about creativity, and, you know, that's creativity's got, like, philosophical foundations. So I wanted to ask you, what is creativity? You know, when you say creativity, this might be too too big a question, too broad. How would, What does creativity mean to you? Okay. Well, I'll go to the research. Well, I'll do two things. Um... I'll go to general personal stuff because you asked me what it means to me. Mm -hmm. Um, Creativity for me is about having the agency or the voice Mm -hmm. to give my expression or my group's expression to our understanding of who we are and the world and how we relate so that other people might be able to make sense of it. So it's both giving them the gift of how I've perceived and taking the chance that how I express can now elicit your perception so it's a beautiful gift of exchange between human beings and spirits that says yes we need to learn things we need to have codes to communicate but really we've got something original to say and now you can make of it Mm. what you like and that's all very airy fairy. So imagine assessing that in the school. You know, so yeah, expression we go under to the research. rubric. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we go to okay, how do we define it? So creativity is often broken down into sort of um, areas of capability. So we understand generating ideas is one aspect. 
digging deeper into ideas is another aspect of creativity. Uh, openness to explore new ideas, mm-hmm. uh, which is different to just generating. That's exploring other people's ideas. Um, listening to one's inner voice mm. might be a form of creativity. Then we have... Um, so there's like four areas. Then we might say, what are the dispositions of creativity? So again, you, you mentioned about generating ideas, mm-hmm. and that's like the divergent thinking. I love that. Yeah. But a creative person or someone that at least has to do a performance at a certain time has to get beyond converge Got it. at some point. And that's exactly. Yeah. So convergent thinking, the disciplined mind of creativity, of analysing, reflecting and selecting the best ones to take forward, that's a creative process. Mm-hmm. So you've actually named it. Mm-hmm. Divergent, but it needs its... It's um, companion of convergent. But yeah. you generate first. So yeah. a creative person... Broad in expression. You go free of yeah. parameters and paradigms, but you don't then just stay in this huge eclectic mess of possibility. <laughs> a deadline to publicly make something right. really clear. That gift, mm-hmm. if it's not wrapped, yeah. then... <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's less, you know, less care. But I know. like that when you talk about dispositions of creativity in that divergent thinking, it's... It, and is at its core just... Being willing to try, to you're not scared to make a mistake or... Courage. You're talking courage. Courage. And that's another form of creativity is to have the courage to go beyond the herd thinking yeah. but to respect the herd enough to make sure it's understood, to mm. select from it and give back to it something they wouldn't have had otherwise. So that courage to, to explore and that openness I think is really important. Um, and I think the next thing that about what creativity actually is when you look at... Um, the dispositions, I suppose. If and, and by disp- dispositions, if you're, um, uh, what are dispositions? Um, they're like habits of mind. They're, yeah, an they're attitude. like attitudes, but they're like a habit of mind mm. that uh, of way the mind would work. Like an innate kind of way of. Yeah. Look, let's explore. I guess um, if you're looking psychological trait theory if you go there the personality is like this because it has Ah. these habits of mind so there's creativity in psychometric testing and that's but if you think about sort of trait theory and and the personality having certain ways then that's sort of another generalized way of thinking about it but look if creativity always embraces the complex and the multifaceted it doesn't want um Simplistic things, and it's probably looking for them incurring in mm. lots of different parts of life. So creativity is seeing a lot of things in their complexity. So a creative person will look at a flower or see Fibonacci numbers and have no problem with the mass. Yeah. It mm. will see a cult balance even in that beautiful symmetry between the way the flowers seem to arrange themselves. So within a single flower, there's incredible numeric pattern, pattern and beauty. Yeah. But in the way a plant might grow flowers... There can be this beauty in in off balance, or mm. where the sun and the environment have invented a certain response, and a creative and a creative person would see the beauty in both the pattern and then the accident, and then realise there is no accident as one thing. You know that there's there's a, a design. Um, is it in what you're saying there? Is it like a an ability to notice, look beyond the mundane, which then triggers a new concept to arise, like being. Is it an awareness or... Wouldn't we like to know? Wouldn't it be fascinating to go back to a brain and say, is creativity the fact that all these different neural pathways fire at once? Yeah. Because when they map a musician's brain, it's like the Olympics of that. There's all parts are going off. But the good news is when they put an MRI or a, or a, a... sort of tracing the electricity of the brain when someone's reading, they realise that the visual motor sensory things are fired up. 
and when one's writing. So obviously when we do any of these things, those multiple modalities are firing up. But if you only practice some of them, like our strongest memories are those neural pathways that have been fired and activated the most. So my theory or hypothesis is that if we get down to it, creativity seems to be uh, the capacity for groups of people because I don't think creativity is best defined individually. Yeah, that's a good call. It's both the individual and the group. You fire up, you know, we found in that working memory limitation that human beings working together, it's combined working memory load so mm-hmm. we've just exploded those limitations by working together and but essentially that creativity might be just less habitual super highways of response well practiced mm-hmm. well taught well understood and well trodden and creativity is the simultaneous firing of all these different pathways to hear to notice with the senses more and get it all the way into the frontal cortex to do the thinking and reflecting where the emotions are full of courage and openness you know all those characteristics if you could imagine each part of that brain is constantly saying let it in love it for its novelness or love it for its pattern don't ignore the pattern notice the pattern Mm. don't just go for the novel but maybe find the novel as well as the pattern and now you feel great about it bring all your emotional memories in bring all your sensory aesthetic memories in bring all these complex network of connections in huge schema coming at once still creative people still have that same working memory limitation but if the elements coming in are incredibly interconnected and not just super highways then you get the generation of ideas and then you get in the frontal cortex a courage to select those ideas and the ability often trained in other parts of the brain to express it musically or dance-wise or artistically or verbally. You know, there are many beautiful I would say, artists who paint with words and paint mm. with, with ideas. Um, so, yeah, what is creativity? I think it can be discerned into those things of generation and selection, of openness to really explore and the courage to do that and the willingness to listen to the inner voice. And that sort of gives us a, a benchmark and then we can go a little bit more structured, if we like, into um, the aspects of of what you might measure um, if you wanted to define it so you could actually do um, formative assessment on it. Mm -hmm. I would hesitate to imagine... So a formative assessment to help guide a student in developing creativity which now to now that they say creativity in that context seems like it's too broad a term to even use that's right but if we think about what's the purpose of formative assessment it's to um, clarify understanding and learning intentions and success criteria it's Mm -hmm. to engineer effective classroom discussions or activities or tasks uh, to provide feedback that moves learners forward um, activating students as instructional um, leaders for each other and to um, activate students as their owners of their own learning well if we say that's what all learning is creativity is that on steroids mm-hmm. if if you're generating new possibilities but helping them select in response to what makes them successful and their owners of their own learning and effective feedback to move them forward those immediate loops that are adjusting things and mm-hmm. bringing in modality so if we had formative assessment for creativity then we could be feeding back to students those dispositions of divergent thinking when they need Mm -hmm. it, convergent thinking when they need that, Mm -hmm. of being open to ideas and newness. How can Mm -hmm. you be creative without being persistent? Absolutely. So there's an element of grit in there. 
Oh, hugely. And so... Especially if you're learning, like learning to act or learning to dance or like the amount of times... And, you know, you, you were talking about um, that those strongest neural pathways are the ones that are activated the most. And there's, you know, in like in our system, um, there's this um, little mantra about you know, 200 hits to gain a conceptual understanding of a concept or and then you know you talk about mastery and 200 hits in different contexts in different ways yeah not 200 of the same hit uh, that's yes. a bruise yeah <laughs> sorry but but you know what I mean I'm being pedantic but again that's the the divergent response if you like is yep. 200 hits absolutely mm. but that's hitting that baseball successfully from that difficult picture everywhere in the park except foul balls yeah that's right and by the time you can hit 200 different pitches you know how to hit a baseball Mm -hmm. um i'm not talking australian so cricket ball tucking it you know down the leg side (laughs) driving it through the covers with elegance you know for all the cricket players out there (laughs) and if we don't want to be sexist the netball that can dummy one way pivot on their ankle without a step or a travel and get get the ball passed to a space and there's a player there You, you know unless you've done that 200 different ways you'll never have the courage to pass a ball where there isn't a player yet Mm-hmm. So, you know, all those things, um, you know, analogies, I've gone very sport, but you can imagine in creative arts how we go. I mean, to be specific, imagine if every child in every learning context had their inquisitive curiosity nature developed through feedback about their creativity to make them more inquiring. Mm-hmm. So exploring, investigating, wondering and questioning, challenging assumptions. Imagine if that was part of all learning. There's mm-hmm. one element, inquisitive of creativity. Imagine if persistence was sticking with difficulty, daring to be different, and tolerating uncertainty. Mm-hmm. If we define those as creativity, which I'm suggesting, imagine if they are elements of all your learning. So every mm-hmm. child that confronted mathematics was going to stick with difficulty, dare to be different, and tolerate uncertainty until they could work out more effective ways of doing this, faster ways of doing that at every level. Mm. And I would argue that the great mathematicians are probably very creative people. Yeah. However, um, anything that can be done without creativity in mathematics is like to be done by a computer, but we'll always need dreamers who can speak that very precise language. Um, Imagine if the imaginative area, a bit of tautology, Mm -hmm. but playing with possibilities, making connections or using intuition. Imagine if those in your history, intuition about what would real people be doing in that circumstance? How do I explain that? that tension between individual action and the forces transforming society. You can Mm -hmm. read the books, Mm -hmm. but if you want to understand history, empathise with what it would be to be a person in that position and where would would your intuition take you? How would you understand that deeply? Then you might have a different understanding of not just the meta-narrative that's spoken in the books, Mm -hmm. but all those alternative narratives of female history, Indigenous history, the unspoken and unwritten histories. Mm -hmm. And I think our historians Mm -hmm. are all the more powerful for their ability to be able to look at what we've been bequeathed by our past generations and then see what's missing. But how do we recreate it? And it's like you mentioned, it's broadening your own schema in order to try and empathise with that as well. So it's like trying to... You talk about creativity, creating new connections, creating new experiences so you can draw upon that within your learning, whether it be in this context. Your life experience. How do we teach literacy? Read the line literally. Mm It doesn't get you very far. Read between the lines for inference great you're now comprehending but literature and reading comes alive when you bring your beyond the text world to it when you read beyond the lines that's the deepest comprehension and that's how books and poems and plays become transformational and don't forget reading is our most powerful way of getting each other's cognitive 
schema, we borrow our learning from the brains of other people mm-hmm. through communication. We don't get to talk to everybody who's ever lived, but books and reading and the mm-hmm. internet now have all this cognitive schema published that once existed inside people's heads, but it's nothing to us until we can get it into ours. And that's what I like that you mentioned that before about you know creativity just doesn't sit with the individual. It's about the group. Most powerful. I would ask you learning and creativity and even intelligence. This might sound radical, but as a teacher, I believe intelligence can be taught. Mm-hmm. I believe that when we describe the construction of schema, we end up deciding that's intelligence. And I know we have bell curves. I know we have IQ tests and we can put everything But is that an industrial kind of echo that's, that's still hovering around? Science says that there's a range of abilities that seems to come prepackaged. Um, but I get a bit suspicious when we start codifying it, putting in a lovely, neat graph. Um, and I love, as a teacher, to disconfirm an expectation, to see a child learn faster than they're supposed to, to see people love something they never have, kids read for the first time. Perhaps because somebody's brought a book to life in acting it or they've had a chance to enact a character and a dyslexic child. Give me a dyslexic child, I'll give you a great actor. Mm-hmm. They want to hear the spoken word. They don't want to be a prisoner of the script. Give me yeah. a great reader and I'll give you a boring actor initially because they'll read very fluently. They'll be looking down at the page and mm. be making it sound good, but I'll be looking at a reader. But uh, I like that because then there's a focus on the, the dispositions as opposed to content. But if, you know, for, that, for that student, what great growth that they can achieve um, well, within, that con- within the schooling context. Yeah, well, again, you're... You know, you're clearly an educator and also passionate about people's development because the word you choose, you're talking about growth and we talk about growth mindset and we talk about dispositions, which are the habits of mind, which I believe can be taught. And in the teaching of them and developing of them, the brain is built. Mm-hmm. So the brain is more capable. Therefore, the person is probably more intelligent mm-hmm. um, and w- not necessarily we're all born with incredible potential so how do we get the cognitive schema built so that we can realize that potential and we don't all have to turn out the same so creativity likes divergence and diversity Mm -hmm. but essentially to drill down about that thing about growth is i would and have always loved embracing apparent imperfection whether it be dyslexia or autism i love that or um compliance or being a goody two-shoes or you name anything taken to its extreme and it's either an impediment Mm -hmm. or it could be a gift the grain of sand around which a pearl will grow so if we embrace these choices that people have made for whatever reason or seem to be made for them by the accident of of slight um, wiring malfunction because you know, it can be technically diagnosed a lot of these conditions they really exist they're not invented by children mm-hmm. some diagnosis might be invented to push some medications but is there an overdiagnosis? <laughs> this is a whole other topic <laughs> in other words if you view it as a problem to be fixed you're inviting an intervention that may in itself become a problem so yep. let's not blame a pharmaceutical company or an overprescribing doctor or a parent who wants to have a magic bullet mm-hmm. instead let's say it's a complex process of using what at the moment seems to be an impediment use that with a growth mindset to embrace divergent possibilities the the brain will create alternative pathways. His, 
here's the gift you have. And I would say when you look at success in life, the number of people that face challenge at school mm-hmm. or in life found the solutions and then had a lifetime of success, you're talking about the cliches of, yeah. of the most successful people. It's no accident. Perhaps the greatest victims of our schooling system are those who breeze through it without having to think much and just jump through all the hoops and then they've got to get out into a real world where it no longer counts. You That's a you great talk. point. That's yeah, I, I totally agree with that. It's and, and it's having the opportunity to embrace challenge, embrace the sticky problems, or or embrace the need to be disciplined. And if the discipline is only capable in the pre-scripted or the rehearsed or the prepared, then that discipline in itself might be limited. So we have a lot of children that reach the HSC and if the question happens to diverge from the habitual pattern of the last 10 HSCs Mm -hmm. in maths, it's nice and simple to pick on maths, but if the simultaneous equation this year is a tangent to a circle rather than to a parabola, but it's been parabolas for the last 10 years, well, Mm -hmm. you'd be surprised how many people in the state don't attempt it because they've never seen it before. It's just a simultaneous equation pump the numbers in and you're there that reminds us that as human beings we're wired for pattern and we fall into pattern we start to ignore it and we start stopping thinking so why do i love creativity in the performing arts um perhaps because i was never that good at any one genre Mm -hmm. i did love acting and was allegedly okay at it but um i think i was just a good talker and faked it (laughs) but you know and never good looking enough to ever make it good good face for radio but in breaking it down and seeing what the possibilities are and being able to teach in such a way that it unlocked possibilities for a wide range of kids, it's hard not to fall in love with that as an educator. Mm-hmm. So creativity in its ability to diverge from the mm-hmm. prepackaged and then have to have the disciplined now converge back with the best ideas selected mm-hmm. to have the best impact on an yeah. audience in the hope that they understand what you did but the trust that they'll make of it whatever they can mm-hmm. – because that's what performance is like. You can perform a play. You don't know what it's like until the audience lets you know. That's right. Mm. And music can look good on paper, and you can play Tchaikovsky's music to the best of your ability, but you won't know whether that's hip or now until yeah. the audience lets you know. It's it's a wonderful pathway for forcing those two skills. And then if you stay open with courage for ideas and you listen to the inner voice as well as linking with other people, it it makes us more human that Mm. might sound like hyperbole but i think creativity takes us into that realm of us at our best together and individually giving each other the gift of our own expression with the respect that we actually had to have the discipline to learn some skills to make it worth listening to yeah absolutely i like how you mentioned there it's about we've got such great humans have such great capacity for learning and for diversion and convert creativity but also such great capacity for being conditioned and falling into routine. We are wired, in layman's terms, to figure it out and fit in. Mm-hmm. So if you work out that it's easy to fit in socially by just going with the herd, mm-hmm. you figure that out pretty quickly. Yeah. If you're in year two and you worked out you're not that great academically, but, hey, you fit in well as a clown or you're the great red herring creator, disruptor, and you can work out how your role is and it avoids confronting the fact you're a bad learner you're just badly behaved got it you start turning one thing and once you understand that and start unpacking it then you know we have all the strategies 
positive support, behavioural support. You know, there's we know how to build dispositions of affirmation, encouragement, and I happen to believe that creative arts gives everyone permission to have a go at, at learning some skills, being held publicly accountable by performance, and then mm-hmm. turning around and wanting to be better. Because usually, the feedback most people support their kids when they hear them play, sing, act at their best in the public. It's the odd parent that walks up and says, I never want to see you on a public stage again. That was a total embarrassment. They're usually celebrating their kids on a journey. And I wish that for every other subject. When parents are turning up and seeing their science experiments and celebrating their kids with the same enthusiasm they do when they come to our choral festivals or our music performances or the drama nights, they've Mm -hmm. never seen their kids speak and look people in the eye and be so clear and loud. When the kids get that feedback from their parents and they're looked in the eye, mm. they're 10 feet tall. Yeah. And imagine celebrate for, the courage that that child has. Well, imagine if that happened for all the other subjects, mm-hmm. the learning exhibitions and celebrating the creativity in that. And, and imagine what would happen if the community was brought together around the learning with the same celebration that we do in the arts. Yeah. And I want to do it more in the arts and, and make sure they're nurtured because they have to fight for their place in the curriculum because it's so mm-hmm. important with all the measures of literacy, numeracy. And obviously, if we have kids understanding their religion and engage with their identity, mm-hmm. then we're looking after them eternally. So I'm not saying that formation, literacy, nu- numeracy aren't important. They're foundational. But the arts can unlock a reason to want to master them, an aesthetic in wanting to understand them, and a joy in being more powerful through them. So I want to push the arts in. That's why we went back to the co-curricular, extracurricular, curriculum, mixing them all together. <laughs> want them in there right in the mix. <laughs> Mark Hopkins. Wow, that was fantastic. Thank you so much for joining me on Episode 4 of the Lifelong Learning Podcast. Pleasure, Chris. Let's talk again. Yeah.